Hi, this is uh, Stephen Fisher. And this is John Sutton. And this is uh, Quixotic. We're on episode, we're just going to say we're on episode five now. How's that sound? So we've got uh, the first episode finally uploaded. So Spotify, check it out. iTunes. That is the third episode. Okay, technically it was the third episode, yes. There's one on bit shooting and there's two that just never made it. Never time. made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fine. I, th- I think uh, I think this is okay. So uh, maybe, maybe one of these days... Uh, if if this becomes a huge thing, we'll we'll have like a best of kind of selection or something. Who knows? I don't I don't know. So those those recordings exist somewhere, but maybe we don't want them out there in in, in the world. So the best of <laughs> the be, the rest of the best of. All right. Um, so on this episode, uh, we are going to try to get to two topics, but it just depends on time. The first topic, though, is is going to really be led by John here. He's he's got some uh, some thoughts on the dating world. He thinks I'm going to white knight it. I I don't. Um, but uh, <laughs> we're going to go with it. So, uh, but funny because I'm not the single one. So I, it's fine. Yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. I get it. So on your side, John, um, let's go ahead and start with drinks that were like, like always, let's start with our drinks. What, what right. are we drinking this evening? So the drink I was supposed to drink last week when I was sick, this is called the Paloma Royal. And I actually got this from a Rachel Ray magazine that was left around the house. And I saw cocktails on it, so I flipped through it and started going through it. I'm like, oh, this one sounds interesting. So this is really just a take on a margarita where the the grapefruit juice replaces the orange. The other difference is is the salted rim has also got cayenne pepper. So so it's a grapefruit margarita with a cayenne salted rim. And it's it's tequila? Yeah, it's tequila. Tequila tequila. What kind of tequila uh, are you using? Uh, I own I, I like eighteen hundred. That's not what I have right now. But just so long as it's silver and one hundred percent agave, that's all that really matters. I just don't remember why, what brand. Why silver? No, but, uh, you really don't want to use aged tequilas for cocktails. You can, but kind of like you know your higher end rums or your higher end like your whiskeys and stuff. You don't you don't use the good age stuff for cocktails. Those you sip on. Um, you, you use your clear ones for your cocktail. Now I have made margaritas with a. I, a was it a reposado? That was that. That was actually that dinner party with over with you. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Years it might have been añejo, and that's añejo doing using añejo is really bad for cocktails, but it's whatever. That's probably all we had. <laughs> I know whatever <laughs> um all right so i'll go i am actually uh, so i am drinking a red wine again as john says i'm boring but you know fuck you there's a million varietals of red wine out there that you can enjoy and a million different vineyards out there that you can enjoy and each one is different in its own way and its own taste so this is uh from france it's a gamay uh which is not uh, which is, is is pretty similar to a Pinot Noir. Just I'd say it's a little bit more uh, oakier, or um, just a little bit more bitter, less less uh, um, less uh, zestful. I think is the the best way to put it. So so yeah, I'm drinking a nice gamay this evening, and uh, you know, John, you would actually probably enjoy this. I know you love. Pinot I, I probably would. I, I mean, you know, I don't dislike wine. I just like giving you a hard time. I seem to remember after your juice cleanse and not having a real drink, you were supposed to have a bottle of scotch. But, uh, but well, I think you were trying to talk me into that bottle of whiskey. So, 
Mm. Um, which is, is funny because I've been uh, I've been talking to this uh, to this girl. She uh, uh, promised me a, a peanut butter or a banana daiquiri, like something did something some some kind of cocktail with those with those two that you had mentioned in our first podcast. So uh, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this one because this might turn her off completely. John, let's get talking about your topic. The right. dat- dating world of 2020 and 2021. Uh, yes. I, I just want to, we are called quixotic for a reason because we are all yes. about charging. We're all about charging those windmills. That is our goal in life here because we are going to change absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> And this is just, I think this is a very interesting topic to get into. And there's, it, it's, you know, was 2013, no, it was longer ago than that. It was 30 plus years ago with Cindy Lauper that love was a battlefield. Now it's just no man's land. But, mm-hmm. And it's, I, I, I don't envy you because I really would not want to date in this day and age. Uh, I mean, it's not, I, I would say that definitely in the last year, it's even gotten harder because you like, you have two different mindsets. Um, you have the every, one first, no, no female I've ever met wants to meet at a bar anymore. Like none of them. Uh, they're very turned off by the idea of meeting at a bar. And I remember we're in Bali and we're walking around the, uh, the bar in Bali and you were trying to bring a woman back to the table for me because I'm the single guy. And you're like, I'm going to go introduce you to women. And I'm like, dude, no woman, just because I've been on the field for so long. I was like, I just know that any woman at this club that wants to be like at this club, that's not looking for money is not interested in meeting like one guy or two. Like they're just not interested in going back to our table. We have bottle service, all that stuff, but they're not interested in it. I could just tell you that. Right. And so John's like, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure you get hooked up. And he ends up bringing a prostitute back to the table on accident without realizing it was a prostitute. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, I had to, like, I told the John, I was like, she's a prostitute, John. And he's like, all right, let's get up. Let's walk away from this table. And we literally left the and bottle I, of scotch and all the, what's that? Just, you got to love the, the guys that work there, though, because, yeah, we we walked oh. away from the table just figuring the that scotch was a lost cause. Like, yeah. we're, we're just abandoning it. We, we come back and, like, oh, we saved the bottle for you, and then we like, brought it back. <laughs> and those same girls, like all of the, the females, you could tell all the prostitutes at the end of the night because by the time that we finished – it was, I think, one or two in the morning at least. And so we're walking out of the club and there's just all of these women who are waiting for all the guys to leave the club and they're literally pulling at us the entire time. So anyways, long story short, uh, in regards to that whole, um, I, I just like females, they don't want to be picked up on and they want to be met through these dating apps. Like that's, that's pretty much, that's their safety net now. And that's fine. Like you have to give them that. I think. I think you're like slightly behind the curve though. Um, Cause that's not working. The bottom is falling out on that in terms of anything beyond a hookup. And I, it's, it's they've so always, but Tinder's, men- okay. Tinder, Tinder was the first one. Let's put it this way. Tinder was the first one. All right. And Tinder, was the hookup app like that was you didn't you didn't go to tinder to meet a love 
to meet somebody to follow. Now people did, people did use it for that reason. And they did like, there were stories that came out of it, but let's be 100% honest. Right, Tinder like, was I, always the hook. I'd like to like, see the, uh, the long-term stats on that. <laughs> I, I, there, it, it would probably suck, but I, as far as it, yeah, as far as it's concerned, like Tinder was the hookup app. Like you had married people and swingers using Tinder to hook up. That was its purpose. At the end of the day, we all knew yeah. that that's what its purpose was. Yeah. So I, I don't think that the bottom's ever but, falling out of it. Like I still feel like that's there's so many of these apps out there now. Everybody wants to catch on the new way to find love. See, and the thing is, and this, what I want to go into with this is that those were never really a good deal for guys. And if you wanted to, in this, I'm talking about a relationship, but even, even with the hookup thing, like you were not, you would get like, (laughs) Cayenne's catching up to me. You would get like, (laughs) You would get like however half dozen matches, dozen matches. I didn't use them really, so um, I wouldn't. I I honestly don't know, but I know you you just don't get matches. And meanwhile, any female on Tinder, even like, well, I'll use kind of gruff language here, but even like just talking about like lower tier in attractiveness and anything on up. If you were a reasonably decent, good-looking woman, you were going to get hundreds of matches. Oh, yeah. And it just, it was it was very imbalanced. And you hear in, you know, what's called the manosphere and in, you know, the, the MRA culture, you hear about hypergamy a lot. And it's always been around, but it's... Wait, okay, hold on. Bring it up now. What um, is this culture? What What is it? Because I have no clue. Obviously, this is where I'm behind the curve on. So what okay, is this uh, culture? Just, the terms the the men's rights activist MGTOW, the manosphere like the modern male you know <laughs> is this like um yeah, you've not heard that, it, the the incels um i think well, is the like incels a, the, an insulting term fuck it but that's what they are but if you could no that's and i like okay. one of the comments says like women that you know get, you know with an only fans count that you know when guys criticize them for their OnlyFans account and they call them an incel, you know, it's like you realize that incels are literally your customer base, not us. And I, okay. This is getting into some weird like stuff. Yes. Um, so just because like, you've never heard of MGTOW, right? No, I, 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 I've just, I've heard the term incel. Um, okay. And I've known that that's the, the culture of, of men who are upset because they feel like they're being forced into celibacy. Well, it's, they feel like, you know, they can't get a girl no matter. And I, w- the first time I ever heard, I'm not, I'm going to forget his name. The first time I ever heard the term incel was after that, uh, that shooter in California. And I can't remember his name. This um, is uh, the one in Gilroy. Was it? There's so many, there's a lot of shooters in California, man. California is yeah, like, but he was, he was, at, and he did shoot three. He killed a total of six. He, but three, this, three, with, three with a knife and three with a gun. And he also tried to run people over his car with his car. And when this, it was, was that a festival? I don't, that I don't remember. I just want to say he just kind of went on a rampage in the street. But after the fact, the video came out and he was like, 
I'm 22 years old and I'm still a virgin and I have money and I'm a better looking guy and I know how to treat women better than all these assholes out there. So why aren't girls paying attention to me? And that was his, he basically had a video manifesto instead of a written one. And that was where I, California. <laughs> that was where I first heard that term in cell. But uh, no, MGTOW, in, in fact, because the first part of that is involuntary, MGTOW is men go their own way. This is men voluntarily just leaving the dating scene. Sometimes they'll only, and I mean going on up into their 40s, 50s, 60s, they'll date casually and only casually. Some of them are just done with women, like done. It's a, it's a, it's a rigged game and I'm not playing anymore. Uh, so, but so it's not like it's run. not rigged. Like you don't have some puppet master in the background sitting here going, you know, this guy's getting laid and this guy's not. Like it, we're talking it's about not, getting laid, though. We're talking about divorce. Like marriage is a nightmare for men nowadays. Marriage and, is a nightmare in general if you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like unfortunately, I'm gonna like, put it here's here's how I'm gonna put it. Just just so you know, this is where I come from on it, right? Marriage is a nightmare for a lot of men and a lot of women, but it's because of family values that have fucked us up. So a lot of men have not grown with the proper like father, you know, institute to understand how to be a leader in the household, how to be a proper man in the household. But so they don't have the proper father. down the very concept of men as a leader. Yes. I Society now, because we haven't mm-hmm. done enough to like, to help that. And it's, and because mm-hmm. you have groups like this that do. And the laws are what they are. When a marriage goes to hell, it doesn't matter who's at fault. The woman gets a, pay out for years to come and the man gets screwed. Well, okay, you're going through that and I know a couple other people who are going through that. I'm not going through that. Well, you're you're dealing with some of the aftermath of what could have happened, right? Let's put it that let's just put it out there like that. Like but it's but that's the thing. So a lot of men are like so women are becoming more and more of a pain in the ass to date. They have an overinflated opinion of themselves and their worth in the sexual marketplace, as it's called, the sexual marketplace value. Well, uh, yeah, because there's more – there are literally more men than there are women, so women get more attention than men in the marketplace. Women get more attention, but it's basically 50-50, but women actually it's, slightly outnumber men. Yeah, it's it's supply and demand, and, man. Even within the with, – we're talking about probably within the last year – and maybe even less than a year, that the consequences of this are starting to be felt because there are men just getting out of it. And women, there's terms I don't necessarily agree with, but there's terms in the culture that are some are rather crude, one of them being the cock carousel. And there's a, well, like one article I read, it talks about a woman's life from 15 to 30. And talking about roughly, these kind of rough numbers, not necessarily exactly our 15 birth, but basically within, you know, right at puberty leading up to about 15 is a woman's first experience with getting access to something via her body. And not even necessarily using it actively, but just 
boys starting to notice her, boys starting to carry her school books, boys starting to open doors for her, boys starting to flirt with her, um, being able to get free dinners and tickets to the to movies on Fridays just for a wink and a smile. And they start to notice this. And then they graduate high school, they go off to college, they party, they party, they party. They get out of college and they enjoy the young single life. And they're enjoying that. And they start to get in their 30s and they get into their mid 30s. And they're still used to that. But what they they're having, they're hitting the wall where they're not getting the attention that they used to. Some of them, obviously, some women stay pretty and they can hold it out a little bit longer. But they now, and a lot of them, they made bad decisions. So now they have three kids with no dad in the picture. Or sometimes the dad still is in the picture and that's a turnoff and things like that. So now they're trying, oh, now I'm done playing. I'm done partying. It's time to settle down. But they're not... The, the only thing they bring to the table is themselves, and you're supposed to appreciate that. And they might say, no, look, I have this accomplished career. And okay, that's fine. Yeah, maybe you're a vet or you're a lawyer or whatever. Those aren't the selling points to a man that they are to a woman. When a man says, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, or whatever, like that, those are obviously things that women, oh, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer. Men don't care about your professional status to the extent that a woman does. You know, because it wasn't too long ago that women were housewives. That's, I think. I think it. I think it changes. I think it, it depends on the person. I, I'll be honest. I have a friend actually who uh, depends on the person. Oh, I, but I'm talking about trends. Oh, the, and, fine, whatever. And, but I do believe that the trends are 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 greatly are going in the other direction of that that a woman's career to some men are very important. I have a friend fine. who he his his idea of marriage or being in a relationship is all about ROI. What is she doing? that this relationship in the long one will be a return on my investment, not of love, not of anything else like that. He's actually looking for a monetary investment of some kind. You're talking about he's, he's, I mean, he's skewed in love and that's, that's the, his, 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 that's his skew. Yeah. Like that's that you know. wrong in the head, but <laughs> you're talking about an outlier by and large. These are not the things men look for in a relationship. Women spend the first two decades of their adult life pursuing this, which is their prerogative. They're allowed to do it. But then here they are. They're 40. They're 45. They're still single. They're not going to get married because they're not a valuable pick for a life partner. And this is the consequences of this is starting to come around where all these women that were used to attention are starting to not get it. And then they have the, this is where hypergamy comes in. But in order not, they chase the top 10% of men, top 20% of men, the best looking, the most elite, the best jobs, everything like that. So a lot of average men get overlooked for the first, in their 20s and 30s. And then when that top tier of men aren't paying attention to them anymore. Now they still have this wrong mindset in terms of what kind of person they're worthy of. And the other part of it, because hypergamy still exists is a woman can become a professional and become very successful professionally. It's her business. It's her prerogative. However, and there's, it's not that there aren't exceptions to this. There are, but trends being what they are, it doesn't, no matter how professional, far along professionally a woman gets, Women don't date down. 
So a woman who does become a doctor or a lawyer, she's not going to date a plumber. And it does, a plumber is a very professional, you know, very promising career that pays well. There's nothing wrong with being a plumber. Didn't you see Overboard, motherfucker? <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, chill out. I'm just kidding. That's the thing. You got to get out of the fiction, man. It's, <laughs> it just is. And so now a, a woman who is at the top tier professional that still wants to date in that stratosphere, if not above, she's trying to pick from a very like, ever smaller pool of men that those men never have to worry about being alone on a Friday night. And there will always be somebody better than her. So she's hitting this wall. And then those guys, like, it doesn't matter if they're 55. They have no problem pulling a 25-year-old for a date night. Why? Because they're good-looking. They drive an expensive car. All the, you know, you can, you know, the list goes on and on. So there's, the hookup culture has skewed perceptions across the realm in dating. And that is the thing. And so... I, so- You're only now starting to see kind of a turnaround on this. It's really, really weird. And it's because there are, every day, more and more men are just saying, I'm done. I'm out. I'm tired of being stood up on dates. I'm tired of being ghosted. I'm tired of being on these dating apps and getting, like, one match a week, and then that person never responds to my messages. Well, a lot of guys are like, I'm just out. I'm done. And... Yeah, I, I I look at I look at these dating apps honestly as as a as um, okay for for one like a lot of it, it, it in the beginning like when you're talking about the hookup culture uh, which which I I like I I hate the hookup culture you will never see me it's absolutely you'll never see me like ever ever do like I just can't even do a one night stand and people have looked at me and be like Steve you just need to get laid and I was like I have no like I would rather meet a person have a connection be with them and and and, uh, and go through that process like to me that the idea of just hooking up with someone even in some far off land or what it's just it, it means it's meaningless it's boring there's nothing to it and it's full of What's disease not? and ev- all that other shit right so 100% agree and society has been pushing that even though it's it's a it's a abyss of despair and nothingness and nothing ever comes from it we've been here's, here's where I'm, here, here's where i'm coming with it so you can get in the dating world now and that's that's completely flipped upside down from what it should be it, well obviously it's not or else we wouldn't have these men's groups that that are walking away because no, they can't no, get sex right, right? I mean, it's, it's not. It's, sex is not the easiest thing, and I still feel this way. Whether whether I was in the hookup culture or not, like I still feel that you, these dating apps are all about sales. Like, how well can you sell yourself to the opposite sex? No matter what. Now, women have it easier because women are more attractive. By and large, we know that. Just, just well, women, hold on. Let me let me talk. Man. Just let me get this out. Level is matters more to men than fine. Whatever. That's yes. We're visual creatures. We don't need to be stimulated emotionally. We need to be stimulated visually. That's how we work, right? That's just in our nature. That's why porn is like such a huge thing for men. That's why it's a a a um, why more men are addicted to porn than women. All right. However, I'm not saying that porn addiction doesn't happen for women, but it, I'm just saying that more men are addicted to porn for reasons. Yeah. 
Um, we're directed at men for yeah, yeah. So in a culture where I think the, the the biggest issue is we've made the idea of dating a swipe right, swipe left thing, and we've made it a sales transaction. We've gotten rid of the actual let's sit down and have a conversation, and let me see if I can stimulate you mentally. Right. Not just through the eyes, like everything is competing for our eyeballs today. Everything. Right. And so where these men have gone, like these men are at, unfortunately, is they're not people who are built on sales. They don't understand the sales technique. I hate sales, but I understand enough of it because I had to do enough of it. I had to wait tables. I had to go through the process. Right. So you have to put your best self on these apps. You can't put yourself holding a fucking fish and be like, this woman's going to enjoy that. No, most women don't want a guy who's holding a fish. Un- they want a guy who but looks clean, pressed. Stop. One second, man. What's, One second. One second. Mr. No, 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 no. You can let me run. Like, I just want, I just want to get this out. That's it. I just want to get this out. Like this is this in my mind is where these guys have gone wrong and they're angry and upset because they've never looked at themselves and said, what can I do better? Now, one, they may be trying to just get into the hookup culture and they're frustrated at the effects of it because they're not selling themselves in that. I get the idea. Like I've been ghosted. I've been stood up. I have gone to the restaurant and waited for the, for the girl and ordered a glass of wine. And guess what? I'm sitting there ordering a glass of wine for myself. Fine. Fuck it. Like I have enough balls to be like, you know what? Screw it. I got stood up and I can walk away and try it again the next night. Right. At the end of the day, it literally is that there's going to be a one in a million. You're going to eventually you have to go through all of that crap sometimes to find that one person who you can connect with. And it may only last a month or two. That's fine. But you also have to be willing to get rid of the FOMO because we all have it. But you have to be willing to get rid of the FOMO and be like, this person is great only for this minute and still be swiping on your phone when you get home from that date. Like you can't be doing that shit. If you want true connection and not just a hookup, if you want true connection and not just a hookup, then the last thing you should be doing is swiping when you're on a, when you're on a date or even after the date, like that's the last thing, unless that date ended so horribly that you both decided that it was wrong. That's, that's where I come from. I think I see the fault. in both men people. are doing that. You think men I are do. doing it? Oh, God, yes, think, man. Come on. I men are doing top, that shit. I think the top I've 10% seen it. of men are doing that. I've seen that shit. These guys who are in the in the in the uh, in the forced in in uh, the forced celibate culture have, by all means, they they're doing that shit. If they go on a date and they feel like they're not getting laid, they're going home and, and swiping, or they're swiping on that date. They're not so, paying attention to that woman. That's that's, that's all I'm saying. That's the casual. I'm, and you're saying I am well, blaming I am blaming the men just as much as the women in this case. I am. I, I, I haven't heard you blame a woman yet. Yeah. Dude, I haven't heard you blame a woman. Yet. All right, all right. There, women. We know that there are women in this culture who do thrive off of attention. The culture we know is that. pushing the fact that women are that are not like that are exceedingly exceedingly rare. And like, here's one thing I'm just showing you. Like, this is one article I clicked on. Uh, this is from Evie, and it's I, there was a survey. Thirty three percent of women admitted to anonymously they'll go on a date just for the free dinner. They were literally that's, just that was how it was back in the day too. That's not that's not new, dude. No, they, they would make jokes about that shit back when we were growing up in high school. 
That's how it was. That's how it's been. That's not new. That's not news. We were in high school. We were, we would joke about like women getting free drinks out of guys or getting concert tickets and shit. I'm like not that. saying it's new. I'm saying that it's not worth it anymore. And but if, if it wasn't worth it, if, if the same shit happened back then, that's happening now. We didn't have, how is it not worth it? We didn't have the same culture we do now. That's completely and utterly built on narcissism. Okay. I will give you the narcissist. We didn't have Tinder and OnlyFans in the nineties. No, but we we had women who wanted to be Playboy bunnies. I mean, how many oh. women? Like it, a very, it was all by the same it token. You had, all you it was it. was they just wore something to school versus like they showed themselves on a freaking online yeah, site and showed themselves. They didn't show themselves to thousands of men. You didn't have them earning a living off of thirsty guys, off of incels. No, but if they could have, they would have. Honestly, like the way that a lot of females dressed in our high school. Yeah, if sure. they could have made money but, off of that, they would have. You I never said this was new. I'm just saying that it. <laughs> so if, if it's not point. new, it's if, been. I don't think it's accelerated. Wait, if it's not new, it's been accelerated by new technology. Okay, where everything is the self, 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 selfie, 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 self, and it's just a drug to them. <laughs> But it's reaching a collapsing point. And still back then, hookup culture was not what it was. When Back then, and they were still young girls and they wanted to play around. But there was still the idea that one day you would settle down and get married. And now you didn't have the cat lady meme like you do now. <laughs> we didn't really have memes back then, man. <laughs> kind of did. They were a little slower going. But memes aren't new either. But it's it's reached the point where, and then again, like you get to, to dating apps and everything. And what do they all have? And they could be in their twenties. What do they have? Three kids. They're in their early twenties. I'm on my fourth kid. Probably four different dads. I haven't seen that shit. <laughs> I have not seen that shit in my three years of being on the. In my three years of being on dating apps, I've never met a woman in her you know 20s what? or 30s with four kids. Think, I'm sorry. I don't think you're looking for it then. I don't think it – that shit does not exist. Yes, I have no. yet to see – I have met a lot of women who are in their 30s who have one or two kids coming out of a divorce or something, but not this like a baby – like millions of baby daddy kind of situation. That, that shit does not exist in a dating app. That is That is few and far between. That is few and far between. And that's coming from the guy who is in dating apps, motherfucker. <laughs> I think you're ignoring it. I'm not ignoring it. Like, unless they're lying on their dating profile. They do. I'm not. Like, guys lie on their fucking dating profile, too. Because it, kind of the sick thing is nowadays we want to be lied to. Yeah. There is that certain aspect there. But that's the thing with all this with the MGTOWN or anything like that is it's there is a growing group of men that says this is a stupid game and I'm tired of playing and there's no reward for being in this game what is the reward that they're looking for though honestly like what is the reward that they're looking for well, a lasting companionship uh, somebody that's actually okay. loyal and faithful and not just going to drop them at it for a bigger better deal then what are okay 
That's fine. That's 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 great if that's if that's what they're looking for. But then why are they on a hookup site trying now to look for that? Well, that's the thing. They're leaving that. But why were they on the hookup site looking for that? Because they were trying. You to don't date like if if you know that the Tinder is a hookup site. Why do you choose Tinder to find love? Who said we're only talking about? That's Tinder? looking for love in all the wrong places. And who says you're only trying to find it in Tinder? What sites are they using, John? Who said they're? I'm just anything that's a swipe right site to me is a is a hookup site. And anything, but anything Bumble. Bumble. The only difference between Bumble and Tinder is Bumble allows women to go first. Yes, doesn't even matter. We're talking about the whole kit and caboodle. Okay, fine. And namely, every divorce is a fifty-fifty, and men do not fare well in divorce with a rare men have never fared well. That is that is a historical issue, though. Men have never it fared well in divorce. It used to be that because once no, upon a time, man. years and years and years, years ago, dude, you don't come uh, from a divorced like, family. No, I don't. I'm just saying. Once upon a time, do. years and years ago, dude, men have never fared well in divorce. Oh, you're done. No, you're not done. <laughs> John, come back. Ah, John. What you're saying is like everything you're saying though is a historical issue. We know that men have never fared well in divorce. We know that there was a point to that at one time. Okay, so what was the po- what, what's the deal with today? Once upon a time, like 1950s, the wife was a stay-at-home. She stayed okay. home. She got to clean. They were married for 20 years. He dumps her for a secretary. That's 25. Okay, she's out, she's out on her butt. She's got no way. She has no training or education in any skill. So she has no way to support herself or anything like that. So it was said, you know, that's where alimony and stuff like that came from, child support. Okay. That's not the dynamic anymore. But those laws are still in place. And now it's too easy for a woman to say, he beats me, you know, he has cheated on me, he's neglected me, he's abandoned me, but wow fill in the blank and it is a guilty until proven innocent and there's no trial I, I want to know where you're getting your stuff though because this you're making very broad general statements about this no I agree that historically this is the issue and nothing's changed well that's a law that's a law issue that needs to be changed it's not yeah. a cultural so, issue that's a law issue that needs to change culture has pushed women increases in the Culture has produced the like, uh, it's not worth it anymore, blah, 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 blah. But there's still the idea to get married. And that is starting to go away. And it's going away for women, too. A lot of women are like, I'm not, I'm never going to get married. I'm not going to do it again. But yeah. Okay. So let's, let's take case in point a friend of ours who just got divorced. Um, 
we won't we won't say their names, but they went through that a very similar situation, right? Where uh, in her mind, it was easier to just cut off the marriage, just get done with it and and walk away, and which left him devastated, right? And she used the "I'm not in love with you anymore." Um, she told all of her friends that he beat her and he abused her mentally, physically, right? All that stuff. We all knew it was fake, right? We all knew it was wrong. He either by the grace of God or a a judge that really saw through the issue, um, you know, were like actually was more in favor of our friend than his ex-wife. So I wouldn't say again, like you paint this very broad general brush and you, and it, I, I I almost feel like some of it comes from your, like what you read online and stuff, but, but you're You're just like a specific anecdotal case. But I'm just telling you, like you, you're painting a very broad brush for things that that probably aren't that broad. Like there's probably a lot of different different aspects that come into mind. And so you hear the stories of of guys who are spurned online. Sure. Like that. Then in your mind, that's that's all you're going to see. But I've seen opposite. So it's like you can't you can't just be broad this is how it's been like you have to be very you have to have a general like you have to be kind of like well what are the trends then i will agree with you on certain trends right like i will agree with you historically that guys got have gotten screwed in divorce and divorce especially a divorce is just as common in our day as it was when we were growing up how many of our how many of our parents how many of our friends have got have been divorced you are we're a different that. story, dude. You are still, a different story. We're still talking, and we're still even we were growing up is still what you could still relatively consider the modern era. But divorce was very common for us growing up. My parents yes, divorced we at eight were, years old. We were the first. We were the first generation where How? it was very common. Uh, no divorce. Eighties kids. As a divorce in the seventies was very common, sir. Seventies is probably where divorce really started taking off. So we still yeah. had that. Idea. But that's like we weren't like, born in the seventies. <laughs> but there, there are a lot of. Well, we were born in the early eighties, but we were we were really that first generation of common divorce. And what it's there's a lot of factors at play here, like. Women are just told they're the tits from, you know, cradle to grave. You know, they're not like that. There's, you have that there, that feminist culture. You have the pop culture of men that are basically just continuously put down at all times now. It is no longer, you know. That is that is the big, you know, I'd say it's our father, Homer Simpson. And it, it, everything is that Homer Simpson thing. And. So men aren't respected in the culture. And that does bleed over to a lot of other things. And you have... Would you, would you say that for, men for are... A long of time, it's, it's never been perfect, but for a long period of time, like just using the number scale for ease, so you have fours, fives, sixes, sevens, eights, blah, blah, blah. Typically speaking, fours would marry fours, fives would marry fives, six would marry sixes. There was... It wasn't exactly like that, but it was more or less. Now you have... <laughs> You're like, there's this class structure of, like, mating, essentially. By and large, like, it's not that it never happened. And granted, like, looks, women, men, 
how a man looks is more more important to women than they initially let on. But not only how a man looks isn't necessarily as immediately important to women as how a woman looks is, is important to a man. It isn't. But by and large, yes, you would occasionally see like the other sort of looking guy that ended up with the bombshell wife. It happened. Stuff like that. But now you have your very, very upper scale of men that play around with like the top half of women and they get used to that and try as they might, they keep trying to look for relationships, anything beyond casual from that top tier of guy who's just using them to bang and they will ignore like the bottom 80% of men. And then they might snap out of it when they get their heart broken or anything like that. And then start to think about, you know, dating a real guy and they might get into it, but then the real guy, he's got the steady job and, you know, he kind of just wants to relax on the weekends. He's not riding a motorcycle or something like that. Some baseline thing that just appeals to that urge or whatever. So then they get bored and, or distracted or they're start to fly on the straight and narrow. And then they see a hot guy and they go for him. The, it's just a, it's a fact that they chase bad boys, even though in the back of their mind, they know they will never get the relationship they're supposedly looking for from a bad boy. And they claim they want a nice guy. They claim they want the, they're not attracted to the things they claim they want. Um. I'll, I'll give you some of that because I, I, uh, the girl that I, you know, the girl that I dated for a little bit of time um, very much was here's what I want versus what she actually yeah. wanted. And, 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 but again, that's what, what, like, it, it wasn't that I, I didn't date outside of my zone. It was just that like, she was a very confused. She just got, I, if I had known she'd gotten out of a divorce, I would have completely walked away from that. Like if, if I had known some of the things that I'd known at the time, like afterwards it was like, Oh yeah. You know, I would have made different decisions. It's fine. But yes, like what she wanted was not really what she said she wanted. So. So, and it's, that's, that's where we're at. And it's not, Guys are like, you know what? I'm just done with it, and I, that's why I'm glad. I just I couldn't I couldn't deal with dating in today's day and age. And, uh, I was I was watching. You were talking about things I watched online. I was watching an uh, interesting video about a woman who uh, created a men's Tinder profile just as an experiment, and she posts. She's a woman, so she posted, "Oh, this is what I'm looking for in a Tinder profile." So. That's what she built. And she was utterly floored at how little traction she got. It was like, yeah. it, was, it was a test. So this, this one's interesting because you just sent that link. Uh, just open the damn door, a feminist perspective on chivalry. And I think this is – so I've heard this both ways, and this is interesting that she's like – guys, like chivalry is dead. I agree with that. Like when I go on a date, 
you know, I'm always, I open the car door for, for, uh, for whoever I'm dating. I open every door. Like it's, it's, it is a common thing. Most women are actually put off by the fact that I'm always paying for dinner or so. And I don't do it because I'm the nice guy. I do it because I was taught I'm taking this woman out. I'm showing her like, this was how I was taught as a man to show a woman that I am interested in her and have a good time. Are you sure they're put off by it? And they are put off by it from, well, obviously from your, from your stats, um, and, well, the, the the one that we were talking about was not put up by it, but uh, but I did date a girl for a little bit of time. It was it was very put off by it. She uh, she actually complained about it. Um, the comedian Whitney Cummings in her last comedy special, she kind of made the joke about like at the date at dinner when the bill comes, how uh, you know you do the 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 fake the punt fake. Yeah, 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 like oh, you get, she goes she to grab it, but yeah. reaches all she's yeah. reaching, <laughs> reaching around. around yeah. she's not going for me. Just, oh, 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 you already get to roll it out. Okay, right. yeah. Yeah. she told that joke, but I think the sentiment is right on the money. Yeah, but to this to this aspect too, like I've when I've flown. Um, and I see a female like struggling with her suitcase uh, and, and I'm by like, I can help out real quick. I'll ask, Hey, do you need help with that? And I get either one or two different looks. It's either get the fuck away from me kind of, kind of look because they don't want a man helping them or the, I'm very happy to have you help me kind of situation. So I think I I'll agree with some of this, that, that guys don't know how to treat a woman always uh, because we have not had the proper training from role models, um, you know, so, so I will give her some of, some of this in that regards, but I will, I will take away what she's saying and say that some women have become too uh, centered on, I can do it myself. Let me do it and stop thinking that you're being a man and helping me. Like that's the toxic masculinity thing that you're talking about um, where, you know, they, they want to ruin the man culture, the, the chivalrous side of us, right? We're problem solvers. You know, I think when we talk about this subject, like we really have to separate like who we are as at the end of the day, we are problem solvers. And that means that we're going to solve every problem that ever comes to us. So when a woman comes to us crying and, and this is all of our female listeners out there, like this is really important because I know who I am. But when a woman, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> when a woman comes crying to me, I often fall into problem solving mode. How can I fix this woman's problem? How can I fix it? And they don't want, they don't want to be fixed. Oh, some of them do. Well, they don't want to be fixed, but you need to be careful because you are getting exploited. Uh, uh, fuck you. Like you, you have this ex- exploitation thing. I think you're, this is the, the, this is the far radical side of John coming out where he's like, you're being exploited because blah, 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 blah. No, dude, you're being this used. is a guy's nature. Guys want to fix problems. Sure, but there was, this is who we are. That was an aspect of a bygone era. Where dude, if I am a reward for that, and now it's just you're being used. You're being used, Steve. Because because I have a very loving woman that's by my side, and she's had a horrible day at work, and she's coming to me, and she's crying. No, I want to fix that problem. That's not her using me, unless at the end of the day, really, all she wants is a shoulder to cry on. Then she's using me for that, but, but that's fine. What do you mean? I don't have a shoulder. Women hate crying all the time. 
Women are not crying all the time, motherfucker. No, they're faking crying all the time. No, they're not, motherfucker. No, they're not. No, they're not. That is a tried and true true technique. That is, that's not even new. Dude, I I think you're, I think you're a little too radical anti-woman in this. Honestly, like. You just have to, like, the culture at large has destroyed human relationships. And there is a strong sense of entitlement in the dating world today. On both sides. On both sides. We are an entitled culture of... Show me the... Show me the thirsty women out there. I want to. I want to see the thirsty women. Dude, women are thirsty. There, and, there, are and, no, and, there are. There is no female. You're not on these. Friend. You're not on these dating sites. Who, you you who have is, never seen any woman guy? that's on OnlyFans is thirsty. Now she may not be thirsty she's for sex. Thirsty she's for thirsty money. for attention or money. And that's pretend, thirsty. And it doesn't it. matter. That's fine it. because there's a supply and demand, motherfucker. There's a market for it. So good for them. But it's, because there's a bunch of horny guys who just yeah. don't know like how to control themselves. Yes. If and if it, we as guys, honestly, it's we as, as a detrimental effect on both sides. Like you have to admit that the issue yeah, is on both sides. You can't just say that the issue is all women. You can't. I don't believe I have. But I'm saying. I, oh, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get a bunch of comments for this fucking video. And because it's on BitChute, they're all going to argue against me. And then, you know, it's going to. And I'm going to laugh. Because because you are not. But if we put this this on YouTube, I can tell you, if we put this on YouTube, it would turn the other way. Like, yay, Steve. No, no, it wouldn't. I guarantee it. Because you are not red pilled yet, as they they would say. Oh, fuck that red pill. You are chewing on conspiracy theory bullshit. You're you're taking that blue pill every night before bed. You still are. I'm going to say this right now. There are no rich elites eating babies for satanic sacrifices in this world. I don't care who believes that. I don't care. Donald Trump and Melania Trump were not speaking to the human beings of this world, trying to show them encoded signals that this was going on. I'm saying that in all, like, I, I just cannot believe that we, even, because you're telling me that I haven't even been red pilled. That's when I hear that term, that is where that comes from. That is not the same thing. That is where that comes from. The red pill idea is the right wing equivalent of woke. I, it's, it's all that is. And all that, it, it, uh, yeah, okay. that's the reference it came from. But all red pill is, is the right wing equivalent of woke. It's all red pill is. Fine. Fine. I haven't been I haven't been fully woke yet, but to be fully woke, I would have to adopt the QAnon bullshit, and I can't oh, adopt God, the QAnon bullshit. Nothing to do with this. Oh, fuck off! I've heard enough of it. I've heard enough of it from a bunch of right wing crazy extremists that I've that I've hung out with. That I'm just like, you guys are nuts, and they've told me that I haven't been red pilled. So, fuck them. Not even talking about the same thing. Uh, anyways. Anyways, 
and I, this is on my phone, not on my computer, but what I said when we were discussing bringing this up, I told this was an article I wanted to, to bring up, and this is from last year. And I said how, like, I wanted to reach through my screen and murder the writer of this at the same time. And you're like, well, I didn't have the same reaction as you did. And I was this, and this was from your tango. And I found this on complete accident. Seven things to know about loving a wild hearted, free spirited woman. <laughs> And yeah, this just made me want to murder somebody, maybe namely myself. Like I, w- I wanted to gouge out the part of my brain that remembered this article. So I'm going to like, just cause it's seven things. I, I might read a snippet here or two or there, but I'm mostly just going to read the points. Like there's no greater sin to us than being boring. We don't always make the best decisions, but we're functioning adults. <laughs> Sometimes we're accidentally jerks. Don't call us manic pixie dream girls. We're extremely independent. Now, I'm, I'm going to go back to a point about that. We'll never settle. Now, that wasn't the point she was trying to make, if you actually read this, but we'll never settle. So, like I said, what this what this article should have been called is... Seven reasons to not date a wild-hearted, free-spirited woman. That's what it should have been called. Because oh, you just this off, she's going to be a nightmare of a girlfriend, and she basically just admitted it. There's no greater sin than being boring. Well, basically, like boring might be kind of a negative term for it, but that's what a serious relationship is. It's beyond the just having, you know the free fancy fun all the time. It's you settle down. That's what a serious relationship. Cause we're talking, she's not talking about dating. She's like, she's talking about loving as in serious. And let's uh, the, the, the same old thing. So I wanted to talk about this. Like we don't always make the best decisions. This is a combination of a lack of planning, a devil-may-care attitude, and a genuine interest in what's going to happen if I just go ahead and do this thing. Which could mean I'm going to paint the living room one day, or it could mean I'm going to cheat on you with that dude from work. (laughs) You don't fucking know. Um, I like to think that these decisions usually result in a funny story, an unexpectedly amazing time, or an important learning experience, but sometimes they're just bad decisions. You should probably try to guide me away from all large machinery. For example, for example, also, I won't always make decisions that are entirely based on sound logic. Um, let's see. Sort of, sometimes we're accidentally jerks. I get, I get very caught up in my daydreams and plans, and sometimes I forget you have your own and that you might not care that much about what I'm doing. It's rarely on purpose, so call me out on it. Tell me I'm being a jerk, and I'll do my best to get my act together. Okay. Uh, that's, I think that that's, I think is a fair statement because we all do that shit. So. To the, and then we're extremely independent. This is, I think, the main point because I want it's tying into what she just said earlier. To the point of my own detriment sometimes. Loving a wild woman doesn't mean I don't need help sometimes or that I don't want you to help. It just means that I'd rather walk over hot coals and admit my weaknesses. I'm strong and I'm proud. 
what 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 does that come before? Oh yeah, the fall. And sometimes <laughs> you're going to have to ignore my incredible ego and just do the thing you know I need you to do that I can't ask you for. Yes, I realize that's frustrating, but I'll appreciate and love you for it. Long story short, this woman is a nightmare to see. Yeah, I mean that that was my ex-wife in a nutshell. Right. Like it, it really was like, it was just the, your cares didn't matter as much as what she, what was, she was going through all that shit. Like, yes. Like guys, I don't know. I maybe I have a different attitude in life in general, uh, where I was just, uh, where I was reading from her and just like, it didn't make me want to gouge my eyes out. I do see some of the points that exactly what you're seeing. Like, yes, that's not the perfect idea of love. And, but any guy that's going to chase that, you know, they have this romanticized ideal. Hence, she kept, uh, I think in the article, she keeps mentioning Garden State. I've actually never seen that movie. Uh, but, like, I can tell you right now that the romanticized ideal that it is contained inside a Garden State that these guys are chasing doesn't exist. This is the same, to me, this is the same issue, like, when you have a chick flick. Like, chick flicks have given women this romantic idea of what Prince Charming is. And suddenly Prince Charming doesn't really exist. And so they've been chasing this, this idea of what Prince Charming, you know, um, it's, it's the same to me. It's, it's a very similar like situation guys chasing this, this fictionalized idea of what the free spirit is versus what the actual actual. And then they get spurned. They get hurt because at the end of the day, Oh, it was nothing like that movie, you know, but they never learn because they have this idea from a movie. Oh, this is what I really want. doesn't exist. You know, maybe that's part of the problem. We have to, we've lived too much of our lives in fiction. Maybe it is. But, and I think that's, that's another thing that's coming crashing down now because there's a lot when you, once you are single and when you're still single in your thirties and your forties and you're dating, do you want to deal with another person's kids? Maybe, maybe not. But also, like I said, once upon a time, and this is, this is a little crude. I'll admit this is kind of my thing. Once upon a time, if you met a single mother, it was because there was a tragic, untimely death, or maybe it was because of the war, and that's why this woman was a single mother. And then you did go through this phase, and I think this is more the men's aspect of it than men today. The men, male culture of 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I think is more the problem than male male culture so much today. Um, but you got the deadbeat dad kind of thing. Like he would sweet talk her. She was looking to wait until she was in a serious relationship. She wasn't into the casual flings like women are today. The man sweet talked her. He told her I loved her, blah, blah, blah. She fell for it. Then she came with the pregnancy test and he ghosted her. So then there was a period of generation where you met single mothers because of that. Nowadays, a single mother is a single mother because her knees haven't touched since she was 15. Did you really just say that? Did you I did really just say that? Just say I that. fucking did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm speechless, John. <laughs> Fight me. John John came out gloves a swinging on this. He just like he's like, ah 
But I'm just saying, basically now, and you do, you have women with two, three, four kids, at least in their 30s, if not sooner. Yeah, sometimes I guess there's still a divorce in the picture and there is only one dad and maybe he's still being a dad or something. A lot of times it's anywhere from two to four different dads for those kids and none of them are in the picture and she's been fucking around for the last 13 years of her life and now she's ready to get serious and you're her lifeline. Why do you need to be her lifeline? It's basically now people are just making horrible decisions because nobody thinks about the consequences anymore. Well, you're just we've been, dude. uh, Like we have information flowing at our fingertips now. I mean, this is the same computing power in our in the palm of our hands that uh, would. Go for the like th- that's what brought us to the moon originally, right? That same computing power is what brought us to the moon back in the sixties, and so we have we have information flowing at us from a, from every angle. From oh, we don't know how to make a decision anymore because we have this to make our decisions for us. We have YouTube stars, we have podcasters, we have bullshit that makes our decision for us. So I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like, this is, it's the unfortunate part. Like again, technology has made technology is kind of, and this is coming from the guy who is a technologist. Um, it's been the bane of our existence. Like it doesn't like it's, 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 it's caused more problems than it, than it has good. There's a, there's a documentary, everybody, I, I, you've probably seen it. Well, no, you haven't cause you're not on Netflix, but it's, it's called the social network. And it's, it's, it's about this idea on how Facebook and all this stuff is being used to essentially hack our brains. Um, now they went off the really deep end of it in the end and started talking about how these companies need to be regulated and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, no, these companies don't need to be regulated. We as human beings should be regulating ourselves. Like we, like you can't regulate a company and their, their idea of information and what they're trying to throw at us. We have to, as human beings decide whether this company, this is, this is capitalism. This is consumerism, right? This is what capitalism is built off of. And so we as human beings have to make the, the conscious choice and the conscious effort to walk away from these things that we find detrimental, not just keep complaining about them. So, for example, you walked away from Netflix because of the cuties uh, thing. Right. And we're seeing now. Uh, final straw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pretty much ready to by then anyway that was just the last straw like, that was the so, last one my daughter so, is the same age as these girls so yeah and they, they should not be hyper sexualized I, I completely you know uh, Disney Disney Plus is now like getting like their subscribers are dropping like fire because of like their stance on po- uh, politics right so um, and it's not just their stance on politics it's it's the refusal to to hold to hold and even regard people of of differing political views. And, and I should, I should, cause who cares whether Disney falls on the right or left spectrum, Disney, unfortunately, like Twitter and Facebook, they, they are, they're time and time again, showing that if you, if they, if they don't agree with your political views, then they will, you know, that they're not, they're not weighting them appropriately, but that's the best way. They're not weighting people's political views appropriately. 
So people are, are people are waking up and they are using their voice now in a positive way of saying, OK, fine, I'll no, I won't, um, you know, all. And, and we can call it cancel culture we want, but it is the, like that is consumerism. Like this is how it works. That's how capitalism works. You know, at the end of the day, your money should go to the things that you support and you feel morally right supporting. So I'm and I'm not in favor of like regulating them. I do think people should just walk away from like big social mm-hmm. media tech giants and Disney and stuff. From it, like say with Instagram, I'm not and I'm not jumping in and saying, but in this case, you actually regulation everything makes sense. You just have to understand like for that attention whore, it's just that ding, 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 ding. It's like digital crack in their brain. Yeah. It's, it's the dopamine receptor keeps, and this is that, 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 that movie really shows like how it affects us. Like you, that dopamine receptor just goes, Oh, I got to like, I got to like, I got to like, I got to like, it's, it's, it's like money to them. It's, it's like, they, it's, it's sick. Because I'm like, heck, it's been like five years ago now when I started Instagram. And they're just like, hot chick, hot chick, hot chick. Ooh, let me look at hot chicks all day. Hot chicks, hot chicks. Hot yeah, chicks. I know. You would send them to me. <laughs> just, to see, just to see all these skin pics everything like that. And then the, even before I started reading any of this or anything like that, like I just started reading their comments and they're extremely vapid like pseudo philosophical quotations that nobody was reading below their pictures, but I was reading and I'm on I'm just like, what? What? Like, oh, here's a here's an ass shot, but I'm gonna make some pseudo philosophical point that makes less sense the more you think about it. And <laughs> ass shot. Get the kids out of cages. <laughs> not even that. It was, it was always some pseudo like self-motivational thing about like achieving your dreams or some crap like that. (laughs) And it was that to me more than the the ass shot showed the narcissism at, at work there. And so I just started to fall more and more out of it and everything like that. And I was just, I was done. I, I, even before I started getting to this, I was done. And then when I did start to read all this, I was just like, my God, this is just awful. And it just causes my brain to bleed. Yeah, and, well, I often wonder about, like, people, like, and this, this gets back into, again, the the culture that we grew up in like unfortunately a lot of the females that are on instagram showing ass shots a lot of the females that are on um only fans these are 18 year olds 18 to 25 year olds right like high school to like like getting out of high school some of them are probably younger you just don't we just don't know that right um high school to uh let's say college right so these are kids of people that we either went to high school with that we grew up with, right. Or, um, or a little bit older than us. Right. Um, and so these kids, their parents haven't shown them either proper. Like I often say that, like, that like I dated, unfortunately, a lot of females and, and, you know, just growing up and stuff. But for some reason, I always had a problem. And my ex-wife is a great example of this, like of dating a female with daddy issues. 
Like, and it's not that she came from a broken home. It was just that at the end of the day, her dad didn't give her the attention she wanted or that she, she like, she didn't get, again, she didn't get proper parenting at some level and it affected her brain. And so she had to seek that attention elsewhere from men specifically because dad didn't show enough attention. And it used to be that women like that would turn into strippers or something like that. And now they've just kind of found new avenues because the technology's changed for them. Right. Like how many strippers have you dated? What's that? I've never dated a stripper. I've never dated a stripper, but it was just like, I, I did date. Like I, you could just tell that, that I, I like the, that I would get out of a relationship or, you know, my ex-wife being that, that, that what it was like in the end, my ex-wife admitted to having daddy issues, right? Like I remember us being on a bike ride one day with her dad and she broke down crying when her dad turned to her and, and was like, you, I'm so proud of you. Like she literally broke down crying. And she's like, he never said that to me when I was a kid. And you know, of course, because I'm still 25 years old, 20, whatever, 23 years old. I had like in my mind, it didn't really click that like, well, that's probably a problem that we need to work on. Right. Um, so it wasn't until much later in the relationship. And I started to see things a little bit more like you grow up, you get wiser and you just kind of start to understand life a little bit more. And you're like, oh, she really never did have a proper like you know, household. And you always hear about women with daddy issues. And I was like this, she had daddy issues. Like females, unfortunately grew up in like, I would say the bulk of like females that we, we know grew up in households that didn't have fathers, right. Or fathers weren't, didn't pay attention to them in in ways that they probably should have paid attention to them. And so they just grew up wrong. You know, it's the whole reason I didn't have kids with, with her and not because she had daddy issues because, but I was afraid of being one of those fathers, you know, so I didn't think that I would be a good father. It's a good enough reason to me not to have kids. If I feel like I'm going to screw up a kid's life, I definitely would feel bad if I felt like my dad, like my daughter would turn out to be a stripper. That would be the most horrible thing in the world. So. All right. Well, I, I hope one day I can reach you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not like full blown into the MRA thing or anything like that. And I, th- I think I've told you before how I feel about like MRAs. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of them are perfectly reasonable and make perfect. Tell us. No, I have told you, I've told you, you this before is like, if I listen to an MRA talk about something, I'll be like, that's a good point. That's a good point too. Uh, dude, you're starting to lose me a little bit with that one. And then, okay, you're basically the male equivalent of a feminist. Like, it's just... <laughs> in, um, it's like uh, Roosh. The, Roosh. The, the game guy, right? He's yeah, gone, granted, he's gone in a completely different direction now. But, yeah. But, uh... uh but like him before that, before, you know, he was born again and all that, um, what I would say about his philosophy before, and then a lot of the other MRAs in the community, I think men should listen to him. I think they should take what they say on board. Don't exactly apply everything they say. And is I'll, I'll give a sports analogy. I think MRA, the advice MRAs dispense is very good defense. I would not necessarily recommend it for offense. 
And that's that's really what I'd say on the subject. Okay. Alrighty then. Do you want to get to your other topic that we were discussing? I, we we can. Do, 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 do we have time? Sure, I guess. So the, we'll, we'll, we'll lighten things up now. We'll go back to culture. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go back to we'll, pop we'll go back culture. to pop culture. Well, what was it? So, so I yeah. thought it's funny because we were talking about underrated movies, right? And uh, this girl I'm talking to, she's really great. Um, but she was, uh, she brought up a very, very cool, uh, like, and and I, for some reason, I didn't think about it, uh, but she thought of it. And uh, I'm just now really impressed with this this chick, by the way. Uh, but she, uh, she brought up Tron. And I think Tron, and especially the second Tron movie, is, is an underrated film. John probably has to think of it. I don't know, but I mean, I like, I did like both of them. I don't. I don't necessarily know if I'd say they're underrated. I, maybe like the original one is kind of hard to watch now. Like the special effects were kind of revolutionary for the time, but they didn't particularly age well. It's a neat concept. The first one. It's a yeah. great concept and a great story. It's a little hard to watch the special effects nowadays. Oh, yeah. The second one, I, I think a lot of people kind of felt it was a cash grab. I liked it okay. Uh, I liked it. Uh, didn't love it, but you know, whatever. I didn't think um, it was a cash grab. Actually, I thought I thought they were trying to do like a, an actual great story. Like they were really trying to, like they had plans for for a uh, trilogy, um, and an, I think the trilogy just got shelved because of a bunch of other bullshit, and it didn't do as well in theaters as they thought it was going to do. You know, because I think they thought that there was more of a a love for Tron than actually exists. Um, it's it's a cult, it's more of a cult yeah. movie than it is like an actual. Just as you said that, like I I never heard a person say I don't like Tron, right? Um, and you you brought up Barton Fink, you know, and to me Barton Fink was never like an underrated film. Like I felt Barton Fink has always gotten like great praise, but you you'd felt otherwise. I I don't know. I feel Tron Tron just kind of has been overlooked in a lot of categories from from people, or they just have always felt like it's a movie that I can wa- they can watch every now and again. And have a little bit of love for, but something that like I've watched it, I'm good. I'll walk off, and like that to me is a movie that I can watch with over the, and over again. With the second one, where they were going into that, I mean, because it's the whole digital world now, like mm-hmm. a whole new universe created inside digital, and the idea of the spontaneous generation of new life, yeah, inside the digital world that they were going with. It was kind of an interesting concept. Uh, for, I remembered an underrated movie, and this was not the topic we were supposed to discuss, but because we, we're kind of dipping back into our underrated movie. Sorry. One of my all-time favorite movies, Insomnia. Oh, uh, with Al Pacino? Or, that, that, yeah. that movie just does not get enough attention. And I know that was kind of uh, Christopher Nolan's springboard. Yeah. Like, that was what led to the rest of his much more successful career. But I love that movie. And it's, I will not bag on Robin Williams in that movie because you know he had done serious roles before but the, the idea of him actually being the villain in a thriller was unheard of at the time and he did a great job I liked him in that but it was still Al Pacino's performance that sold that movie for me I, he I, yeah, uh, so I think just the use of like underrated. the use of uh, um, uh, like light in that film Oh yeah, uh, you know he's there's a guy who's dealing with insomnia. He can't, you know, he can't sleep, and and he's in 
uh, Alaska during the the time of year where there's no darkness. Yeah, it's just it's it's. Uh, and I thought for some reason that he had done the original, but maybe he didn't. No, the original was a Swedish movie. You're right. Which All I right. Watched. I watched it way way back in the early days of Netflix when it was a DVD rental service, and it was hard to find something that. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to find something they didn't have in their catalog. I love how you take another swig of alcohol to kill the cayenne pepper. You're like, that cayenne pepper. <laughs> that, that's a total, that, that, that jug of water, by the way, that's a lunk kind of situation. That's like, I'm going to the gym to lift weights and I got my, my jug of water. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I did. Like, so I did watch the Swedish version of it, and I did not like it at all. And it wasn't just because it was Swedish or anything. It didn't have the backstory on the protagonist that the American version had. It had, he couldn't sleep because it was daylight all the time, and he did accidentally shoot his partner, and the killer saw him accidentally shoot his partner. But he didn't have, like, the skeletons in his closet that Al Pacino had in the Americanized version that I think added more weight to what was going on. And it just, I just didn't like it as much, but. Yeah. I mean, but that's what Chris Nolan's good at is like, he's good at like finding the ways, like the whole, like, I think Batman uh, in general, like the whole, except for the last one, but but Batman, like the Batman movies for Christopher Nolan did a really good job of, of adding to that character. Like things that we all know is like, we're all fans of Batman, but he did a great job of really adding the layers on that character. Um, you know, to, to at least bring that out more of like, this is how Batman can exist in our world. Um, so I think that's a great segue. What do you think? Into what you wanted to talk about, which is villains. Our favorite villains. Yeah. I'm going to let you start. I'm going to let you start. I, okay. I, I need a few minutes to think through this one, but we, I, I'm going to bet that at least one of them, one of them is both of our favorite villains, but, but I'll let you go. Maybe, maybe not. And I'm going to, I'm going to get, I think, an easy one um, that may be kind of overlooked, but I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to say the T-1000 in Terminator 2. Oh, damn. Arnold Schwarzenegger. And see, here's the thing. Even though more or less Arnold as the bad guy in the first Terminator was more or less the same kind of villain as the T-1000, really he just – he was better fit for the hero role. Yeah. Um, he did, he didn't do a bad job at the first Terminator of just being that ruthless, relentless, unstoppable killing machine, but it was just oh, Robert, Robert Patrick. Uh, Robert. yeah. Robert Patrick. He just, he did a much more, he did a much better job of being the villain than Schwarzenegger did. Schwarzenegger needed to be the hero. Um, I couldn't see him. Robert Patrick for me. At any other movie, I can't see him any other movie. It's it's always the T one thousand now, and he's been in like what GI Jane and all these other fucking movies, and uh, the faculty and yeah. Oh, the fact he is a bad guy in the faculty though. So well, he's he's the kind of asshole gym coach. I wouldn't say yeah. Villain. He eventually gets you know one of the pods or whatever in his body or whatever. But yeah. anyway, um, but it just that relentless. Almost no word, almost no spoken lines in the, the movie. Singularly focused, silent, terrifying killing machine. And he did it 
perfectly. And just the con- the concept of the T-1000 visually was very cool and very exciting. Interesting At the time, that, too. Interesting, very enough, he was more intimidating than the Terminator 3 one, which technically had some upgrades even on him, but still just was not as intimidating as the T-1000 was. So I'm just going to say right off the bat, that's that's a, one of my favorite villains as the T-1000. All right. I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, this one for me, uh, I, I, I want to, I, I do want to hit this one eventually. Uh, but, uh, but I, I will tell you the, my first love is going to be Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman, Die Hard. Got it. Like, you like, and, 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 and it's not it, like, he's probably got the best one-liners as a villain. In, in fact, that, that whole point where he's trying to, when him and John McClane actually meet eye to eye and uh, he's trying to act like an American trapped in the, in the, you know, hotel and stuff. Cause he knows all of a sudden now who McClane is and, or not in the hotel, but in, in the, in the uh, Takanami building. And it just, you Nakatomi. see this Nakatomi, God damn it. Um, but like he, it, even just the the reason for the hostage, it was all a robbery. Like at the end of the day, it was all a robbery, and it was a robbery gone wrong because nobody expected John McClane to be there. Um, he wasn't like he wasn't malicious. He wasn't there. There was nothing evil about him. He just wanted to make his like make money and get the hell out of the building, and that was it. He did kill pretty ruthlessly with no qualms, even at the yeah. peak before he knew about John McLean. But. True. All right, all right. I'll give you that. But I don't know. I just I did. Like, I don't know. I just he, feel like he was. I, I love the part where he's giving his demands to the police, and he's just naming all these like different like terrorist organizations that are in custody around the world, and like he does. Uh, I can't remember the other one, and that his like the guy working for him is even like. He's like, oh, I read about him in Time Magazine. I love that line. Like, he just, <laughs> he's just doing bullshit. <laughs> I, 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 that was the one that I figured might be on both of our lists. Like, if if I if like we had to choose, like that would that would be. I don't know. No, if I necessarily said I was going to pick him, but I I will agree with it. Yeah. All right, go for it, dude. All right, this one. I'm trying to think, it's good if it's going to be my all-time favorite. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but I'm going to say, because this is one of my favorite villains, definitely, and it's for a lot of things. The actor's performance really pulled it together. The storyline around which it's built, the concept of it, of what the villain is, who the villain is, how the villain is performed by the actor, and how it fits into the story all culminate into a great thing, and I'm going to say Smith from The Matrix. And I know people, like, don't give a shit about, like, the second third <laughs> Matrix movies. But one, I'm going to just go through it all. One, okay, let's just get out of the way. Hugo Weaving did a great job as performing as him. And it was just like, even in the first movie, when he was still just an agent, you could tell he was different. He just did not lack like the other agents. He didn't have that just emotionless computer program performance that the others had. There was already something different about him. He had anger. He had hatred, you know, nihilism. Those things were already percolating in the first one. But in the second one, when they came through, so, okay, yes, so it's performed perfectly. Second, why he's one of my favorite villains, conceptually what he is, is he is a artificially intelligent, obviously, nihilistic computer virus. 
I love that. That is, I mean, it's not just malicious. He's he's literally malicious code, is what he is. Um, it, you, you've never seen reboot, have you? Like, I did not. no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three, three, why, and that to me what all culminates it together is conceptually in the overarching story of what the Matrix is, is the one, and how it's originally portrayed as a messianic the one. Yeah. And what you find out at the end of the second movie is he's the remainder. He is the unquantifiable remainder at the end of the equation. And he's the the one, and Neo is only the most recent, you know, manifestation of the one. He's actually the imbalance in the equation. He's the reason why the Matrix keeps collapsing, because the equation isn't balanced. And the reason why it works, and finally in this reiteration, is because for the first time ever, there is a negative one, Smith. He balances the equation. And... I, I thought conceptually that was so cool. So I love that. I love what he is, and I love the performance of him at the so, so what you're saying is Smith Smith was the zero, and he was the he, one? The one. Smith was the Smith. negative one to balance the equation. <laughs> I'm just talking binary. There can't, be a ne- there can't be a negative one in binary, so never mind. All right. Um, I mean, if you're talking about, like, code and bi- like code and, and the one, like, the zero, one, one, zero, yeah, obviously. All right, never mind. Sorry. It, 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 reboot, though. Like, the, the, the idea of malicious a malicious entity written in code is not – like, Reboot had had, uh, had viruses. One was called Megabyte. The other one was, I think – oh, shit, I can't remember what the – hexadecimal or something like that. So they were they were two viruses that lived in the in the uh, the mainframe that, that tried to wreak havoc upon the computer. So, all right. Has anyone seen this movie you keep talking about? It's not re- – it's not a movie. It's a TV – it was a kid's TV show growing up. Oh yeah, never heard of it. All right, it was it was like the it was like the first computer animation TV show that came out. So, and I won't I won't necessarily say this is one of my favorite villains. Just as a quick aside, because we're kind of talking about, but uh, the movie Virtuosity with Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. Just watched it the other day, and yeah, the special effects, the CGI didn't hold up because it was kind of lower tier. But the the concept concept of that villain was very interesting. Well, just like he was he was a a serial killer built. To be the perfect serial killer who right. just happens to get out of the. He was like an amalgamation of all the worst serial killers ever. Yeah. In a single. And then right. he existed in a virtual world, but at the same time, they were inventing technology to basically digitally print things from digital into the real world. So yes. It was it was a neat idea. Yeah, it was it was it was a cool concept. I'd love to see it done like something like that today. Um, it, it might exist, and I'm just not thinking about it. You know, somebody somebody's going to tell us that now this movie exists already. Nowadays, they just redid it. Um, all right, here's here's one. I don't know if you've seen this movie or not, um, but but uh, I time and time again, like Tom Hardy, I always come back to as probably one of the best actors. Um, you know, in in recent years. Uh, I, even even though The Dark Knight Rises, let's face it, was not a great movie, I still like his portrayal of Bane. Like he still did a great portrayal of Bane, uh, down to the voice and the mannerisms. Like he's one of the few actors that I can turn around and be like, ah, damn, he's just he's got it. Like he just understands how to do um, how to act. He, 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 he loses himself in the role. Um, he did Capone. I don't know if you saw that one, but he played he played a a uh, uh, Alphonse Capone. 
later in his years when he was dying of syphilis. And again, you just, you lose the fact that it's Tom Hardy. You just, you see the actual, it's, it's like Johnny Depp back when Johnny Depp was in his heyday. Like you just saw before Johnny Depp became a character caricature of himself. Right. So anyways, all of that said, the movie, the Revenant Revenant, Tom Hardy's character, John Fitzgerald, uh, like one of the best villains portrayed in a movie. Um, and, and it's just a slow burn. And he's not really like you didn't, you never really get a sense that he is a villain villain. But when you, when, when you have, um, Leonardo DiCaprio as the, the protagonist of the story, like there's always, uh, always the villain and, and it is, Tom Hardy, who he, he's tracking down Tom Hardy's character throughout the whole movie. And, and the final, it's not even a showdown at the end of the movie. It's not like it's because this is a Western, right? So you'd expect like the showdown and everybody, you know, shoot. It's not even a showdown. It's it's basically like Caprio comes across him in the middle of a <laughs> the middle of a field. They both look eye to eye. And then it's just game over for Tom Hardy. It's 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 a, but it's such a wonderful like he did such a great job in that film. Uh when I come back to it that that is uh he's one of my favorite villains in that in that movie. So <sighs> see here. Um maybe not one of my favorite villains but I figure we should just get it out of the way just go ahead and say the emperor from Star Wars. <laughs> I'm going to say this character, not my, and I know Vader is the iconic villain everyone knows about. But there's a great video on YouTube about that actor and the in, the proper use of camp and how, oh, how, see, see. How, how to do camp properly. And like he is a master class on how to properly do camp acting, and and uh, just the point that they made in the video is absolutely correct. He is just loving it. Like, he is evil, and he don't care. And that was what was interesting about him. And so I think he's he's worthy of a mention in that. Because I'm trying to think of some other just, man, what a great villain in that. I'm just, I'm just trying to think of some others. Um, well, all right, I got one for you. I have one for you. Yeah, Hannibal Lecter, man. You cannot have a list without Lecter. So the thing about Lecter with me, I like Silence of the Lambs, and that's about it. Really? I did not like Red Dragon at all, and okay. I didn't really much care for uh, Hannibal that much either. All right. By the time right, well, then, TV show, like I was just kind of done with. I thought he was overdone as a character. Um, Robin Hood. I, I actually have read Silence of the Lambs, um, the, the actual book, and it's the movie was pretty good. Right. I, 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 I mean, it right on spot on with the book. Oh yeah, I, I think I've read all of them too, and uh, except for Red Dragon, uh, I read up to Red Silence of the Lambs up to Hannibal. And it, was, it was pretty good. So, hmm. all right, I got I got another one for you. This one, this one, you have to agree with. I don't care who. Like, it's another Alan Rickman man, Robin Hood, yeah. Prince of Thieves. Right. The, just the line, I, I will dig his heart out with a spoon. Like, come on, like, come on, man. Like, Alan Rickman was the greatest actor. He he really was. He was the only guy who could do an angel in dogma. Who, who was like narcissistic and complaining the entire damn time, uh, more worried about the shit that he got on his suit or, you know, or fucking Robin Hood period pieces. Like he was the old, like he just he just was such a broad actor. Yeah, and that, that was that I think is another good example of camp villain because he was. Fuck he, you, he was, camp. Oh, yeah, because he was just the perfect amount of over the top. Just like, ah, 
but he was, you know, he, was just, <laughs> he would, he would do his ways of overreacting and everything like that. Um, kind of similar, not exactly, you know, it's kind of because they came out the same year, but very similar to Dustin Hoffman's portrayal of Captain Hook. Um, yes, kind of similar uh, depiction, like style. Um, of that, did you did you like that Hook though? Did you, did you? I did like Hook, and yeah, Hook. Dustin Hoffman's portrayal of Captain Hook, how he was he was he's fucking bipolar, and, it was, <laughs> and uh, so I just I just I just loved his his smee just just that that the way that he was he delivered that line just any time that he was trying to get get Bob Hoskins, um, don't which try to stop me, which if we're gonna talk about Bob Hoskins, <laughs> if we're gonna talk about Bob Hoskins though, we can't forget Christopher Lloyd in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I've never seen that movie. What the fuck? You've never seen that movie? Never seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You are the Robert Zemeckis. I love Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> and you've never fucking seen that movie? That's like... Sue me. Sue me. Dude, that, that was the movie that, that... That was the first time that they blended cartoon with... I know. And that was Zemeckis. Zemeckis was pushing the boundaries. And Christopher Lloyd... That was I've a never villain. seen it. What do you want me to say? I've never seen it. <laughs> I should. That's your fucking it. homework. John has homework from this podcast to watch her friend Roger Rabbit. I'll get right on that. You should. Fuck you. I love Robert Zemeckis, but I've never seen one of his best films. I never really came up. That's like saying that, dude, your kids need to see Who Framed Roger Rabbit. My understanding is it would traumatize my girls. Now, granted, I went, I've already got the, the, the Indiana Jones trial. We, we sat down and watched the Indiana Jones trilogy because, you know, every kid needs to be traumatized by those. You know, <laughs> you have to get traumatized by Temple of Doom, like before you turn 10. It just, it's a rule. And. <laughs> <laughs> the face melting or the uh, Kali Ma, yeah, runners, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I I was a uh, I was pretty traumatized by Ghostbusters when I was a kid. So um, you know that that one had, uh, that one had gotten me. So I, I had nightmares from Ghostbusters. Oh well. All right, what else you got, man? Come on, you you have to have another uh, another good. Uh, really, really, really good. Okay. I'm drawing a blank here. Gary Gary Oldman, the professional. Oh, that well, yes, but not that one. Just like, that was actually I was forgot to bring him because that's probably my all time favorite actor. But Zorg, Fifth Element. Really? So, you got Zorg. Not, Zorg not is a better villain than the professional. I think so. I I, I like his. I like his attitude in Fifth Element a little better than the professional. And the professional, it was interesting, but really he was just a drug addict and losing his mind and, you know, spiraling out of control. And if the professional hadn't killed him, he was probably on his way to getting busted anyway. Um, he, but he was, you know, he had his Beethoven thing and all that. And yeah, it was great, great villain in the professional. I'm not denying. But I think his character in Fifth Element is a little better. And I, I like the, 
you looked a little ridiculous, but that I did like that. Uh, just his his mannerisms and his character. I'll tell you what, I do like though a killer, cold, McLean, methodical, and thorough. Like you know, <laughs> and, and I did love the little play on in that movie of how the main hero and the main villain never meet. That was interesting. Yes. I just, and they even made the joke about it towards the end where. Right as Bruce Willis and all them go through the door, he comes out the one right next to it. That was a, just a neat little fun twist that you just never see in movies of the hero and the villain never meeting. Um, yeah, they have no clue who each other is. They just know that they're they're working for opposite ends. Yeah, they don't they don't know about each other at all. There we go. Yeah. Um, and I, and yeah, just I, I, I he's probably one of my all time favorite actors. Or might be my all time favorite actor. And that's one of the examples of because there was nothing like that role before or after. And okay, he was he was that different take. He was a a huge industrialist tycoon bastard that still wasn't afraid to get his own hands dirty. I like that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I this I just like that kind of dude. That's a good dude right there. <laughs> well, that's a good villain. Like yeah, yeah. All right, here's one for you. And I know you're going to, going to agree with this one, because I'll, I'll give you Zorg. Um, Hans Landa. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I was I mean, we were the villains. Of, and I, there's so many things I like about the character. And he, Christoph Waltz did a great job with it, way better than Spectre. Um, yep. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And he's a great actor, too. Like, he's a he's guy's yes, nice. fantastic actor. But I loved how he didn't even really care about the Nazi cause. Like, no. Like, he, he was in it for himself. He's just doing his thing. And, like, the second it became opportune to jump ship and totally step back, <laughs> he was all over it. And it, yep. like, he didn't care. He was just no. doing his own thing. And I sent you that video, the, the Vialai videos, and I just yeah. recently, I think I discovered those like two weeks ago. I'd never seen them before, so I was watching, you know, those breakdowns of different villains. And I'd never thought about this before, but they brought up the theory in that, that he knew that, that that she was Shoshana from the beginning. And I never even thought about that before, but they were bringing up the point, like, every time in every conversation he has in that movie, he knows more than he's letting on and he lets them basically, everybody he interrogates, he gives them enough rope to hang themselves with. Yeah. You you saw that in the beginning of the movie, like literally you saw it towards the the movie with the actress. Um, that was how he always, he even did it with, uh, Brad Pitt's character. I can't remember. Um, And there's the whole scene where like, he's, uh, where he's getting strudel, like him and her are eating strudel, uh, strudel at the, uh, at the restaurant, you know, and, and you get a sense like he's, he's getting her to that point. Um, and then it just kind of, like it, it kind of goes away. The the theory, at least he brought it, he respects the show and he respects, Anyone who could pull it off. And usually he springs this trap after he catches them in a lie, catches them in, you know, you know, the, the a weakness in their story or everything like that. And he didn't catch that with her. So he let her go because he respected that. The fact that she was able to maintain her persona, her facade. And it was, I'd never even thought about the fact that he might have actually known that she was Shoshana. Because as far as I can tell from the movie, he actually never saw her face. But the only time he ever saw her, she was, he saw her from the back from 100 yards away as she was running away. Yeah, um, it covered in blood. <laughs> yeah. And another part of that was this, you could tell he, he, he didn't really care about the Nazi cause because he didn't chase after her. He was no. just like, 
Bye. And, you know, in fact, what he, what he, he was like, say, say, uh, not sayonara, he said something about like French or something. Yeah, yeah, so, um, I mean, he had a, he had every, he drew on her. He had every opportunity to shoot her in the back and he just let her go. So, yeah. And then the, the whole idea, I'd never even thought about the fact that when he's talking to her in the restaurant, he knows who she is for real. Didn't, didn't even cross my mind when I saw that movie. Um, so yeah, absolutely great villain. Um, very, very well told, but they really a show stealer. I mean, mm-hmm. really, he was. Oh, uh, he most memorable. He made movie. the movie. Like so, so yeah. I looked forward to seeing uh, Brad Pitt and Eli Roth. Like I looked forward to seeing the characters that were that were the the, the heroes. But when he came, because I, I I hadn't heard of Christoph Waltz before that movie, and I just remember being totally mesmerized at the very be- like as soon as like I saw him, I was like, oh man, like I I had lost. I wanted to see more of him, unless I could care less about Brad Pitt in that film. Honestly, you didn't think Mike like Myers that was, made that movie? What's that? You didn't think Mike Myers made that movie? I, it, like the the one scene that he was in. Come on, that's like the, him him in Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a fucking overrated film, by the way. Bohemian Rhapsody is overrated, but like, uh, but again, like. I, I I want I cannot wait to the day like I re- really wish that Mike Myers got his P, uh, his Keith Moon movie made I really do like I wish that that had been like a movie that that he had got made but oh well fuck it like so so lives other shit so anyways what do you got man I I I've, I've thrown out like a lot of villains here come on I, I don't know I'm just having a hard time thinking of like man what a great villain performance I'm thinking of more underrated the, movies than the, the, the shit the- monster and dogma come on. That, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Although like Christopher Lee in that movie, it, Christopher Lee in that movie was a pretty, uh, uh, not Christopher Lee, um, uh, but Jason Lee. J- oh, fuck. Uh, Jason, Jason Lee in that movie. Um, Interesting in concept more than performance. To me, the best part of Dogma is to this day is it has the most honest line about movies everywhere. Movies are fucking bullshit. Like that line just nails the rest of movie to me. <laughs> Kevin Smith has become a character character of himself, which is really sad. Uh, really is. You have movies like Chasing Amy, which I think was a, just such a great, like, it really was a, a great, McClurk's great movie. And then, and then, I really ever need to see any of them. I watched Mallrats not too terribly long, maybe like two years ago. Yeah. And I hadn't seen it forever and ever. And man, that movie is not in my mind what it used to be like. No, I, I think Clerks Two is actually still one of my favorite films. Like Clerks Two to me is a feel like a really good feel good film. I'll turn that on when I just need a really good pick me up, and it's got some great, great like great moments. But it's not like I a. I don't know what it says about you that a feel good movie to you involves a donkey show. <laughs> ah, fuck that, dude. Fuck. Um, you should see uh, Red State. You know what? You should see Red State. It, it is a very un Kevin Smith film. And it's it's him like actually doing something that is that like you like he had a glimmer of hope he really did like you look at it and you're like damn he grew up and then he fell back into Jane and the Bob and smoked a lot of pot and it's it's kind of sad so but hey he is who he is so whatever as long as he's happy and he's making money he's making more money than I am so yeah I don't know exactly what he's doing to make that money right now but <laughs> he's he's podcasting. Like he's got, he's he, he's he's literally podcasting and, and touring the country. Well, I don't know if he's touring right now, but he's been touring the country. And, yeah. <laughs> All right, 
right, you got you got to have one more villain. Come on, man, one more villain. Man, man, you put me on the spot. All right, uh, underrated film. Come on. Well, just because I was thinking, you're just thinking about trying to think about villains made me think of an underrated movie, Election. Oh shit! Well, she's a villain in that fucking movie too. So we'll go with we'll go with villain on that one. Oh, and she's not one of my favorites. <laughs> um, she's just a bitch. Uh, yeah, that, but no, that movie that is an underrated movie, and it ta- it's a certain takes a certain level of appreciation to yes. appreciate Election, but because it's just so atypical and so asymmetric in its storytelling and it just I just the, the one scene it. where Matthew Broderick's character is having sex with his uh, wife or girlfriend or whoever and he keeps seeing her face on it and well, just like, oh. with his buddy's ex-wife yeah. who he ends up having the affair with but then just completely unbidden her face just appears there and it's because the, the, it's the fact that it still talks she's talking the exact same way she does she's like do it do it do it but it, and it, it did turn like like when it's the other woman's face like he's emotionally mentally cheating on his wife he's fantasizing about her when as soon as it's her face it's just a grudge fuck and then like <laughs> it's just like yeah, because she's so awful in that movie there aren't, I mean, uh, Chris Klein's character is about the only good person in that movie, but... Uh, yeah. Matthew Broderick's good, too. Like, he uh, just he's, does kind stupid of a, shit. He's, he, he, does, he makes a stupid mistake, but he's kind of an asshole. But I, I, and I didn't love when he decides to cheat the election. And it's just like, part of it was because she was spying, but mostly it was because of her face. <laughs> Who knew how high she would climb? How many people would suffer because of her? I had to stop her now. <laughs> it's, it's such a weird movie. It's such a weird film. Uh, at the very end, he's like, I just realized I wasn't mad at her anymore. I just felt sorry for her. I mean, what was she really trying to prove anyway? What is she doing in that limo? Who the fuck does she think she is? And he throws his drink like it does. <laughs> Turns out he is still mad at her. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Um, no. <laughs> I, I I don't know, man. I have no. I don't. I don't have any. Like, if anything, from me. About any, so hard. I didn't think about more villains. Um, uh, there, there's got to be. You have to have more villains. Come on. Uh, I would say Thanos from Infinity War, but uh, Endgame messed that up. Like, they took all the nuance and character development of Thanos and Infinity War and just flushed it down the toilet, so that's out. Um, all right, well, let's let's go Joker. How, like, what? which Joker is your favorite one? That's really hard, because one... There were aspects of it from before the 2008 Dark Knight movie, but Heath Ledger's depiction, there's just no getting around it, completely changed how Joker was depicted, by and large. And in my humble opinion, much more for the better. There were aspects from different graphic novels and comics in the past that had, like, played with the idea of their kind of codependency. Um but that that took it to a whole new level. And, like, when I showed those movies because my mom had only seen 
Batman Begins, and she liked it. When I finally set her down and we watched the second two, I was showing her the second two, um, I told her about, uh, well, in Batman Beyond, how it ended with the movie Return of the Joker, and when it's doing the flashback sequence to what happened with Jason Todd, and how Joker said, you know, it comes right down to it, Batman, I really just hate your guts. <laughs> it was great, you know, and it's, and it's, it's Mark Hamill's Joker, and it's great and everything like that. But I thought about, I think about that scene, and then I compare it to, and then as I was coming up in the movie, I stopped, I was like pointing my mom, I was like, I was like, this is the scene right here to me that completely takes this depiction of Joker to a whole new level. And it was when he's interrogating him, and he was just like, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? And that, that to me, and I was like, I think about those two. How it was just the old Joker just wanted Batman dead because Batman was always getting away, getting in the way of his fun. To the yeah. idea of a Joker where man is his fun, um, and two different I takes on it. The, two different takes of it that I like, and I think where it culminated to me into the best depiction of him as a villain and their weird codependency and everything like that was actually Arkham Knight the game. Um, where Joker oh. just in his head. And it's the depictions of the two of them with just Joker in his head, I think has been the best depiction of Joker as a villain um, ever. And obviously he's, he's a fantastic villain, but I think that's probably been the best. And weirdly enough, in the Dark Knight Returns uh, two movies, where it's... Uh, Michael Emerson doing the voice, which is so weird because it's a, a Benjamin Linus from Lost. And, <laughs> and we're there. It's a weird codependency of almost like they're, they're going to keep going until one of them kills the other. Yeah. And, uh, and just that, that, that final showdown in the tunnel of love, which that is such a weird place for a final match between Batman and the Joker, which makes it so perfect. Um, which is probably about, why it was written that way. <laughs> exactly why it was written that way. And, even, and even it was just like, and it, I love how private that moment was. It was just the two of them, which I've always appreciated in certain aspects. That was probably the one, well, I'll get into that uh, with Harry Potter. Voldemort's by no means one of my favorite villains, but there's just an interesting thing more in how it's portrayed. But that, when if Joker's even saying, oh, it's finally here, isn't it? That moment we both knew has been coming, you know? Like this, one of us is not coming out of this tunnel. And it was just like, they kind of both knew it. Um, yeah. Not kind of, they both knew it. But um, yeah, going to what I was going to say with the uh, thing with Voldemort and Harry Potter, I've, I've read the books. And so the final showdown between them in the end is completely different. And I would say for most of the aspects, the book ending is better and everybody witnesses Voldemort's fall. And it's not even a battle at that point. It was just like Harry finally understood what it needed to be done. And it was literally like just all of a sudden the greatest dark sorcerer of all time was powerless and everyone saw it happen. The movie, the one, and by and large, I did like that better, and I like the setup of it better. But I did kind of like how, in the movie, they were alone when it happened. And to me, it's the same thing with the Return of the Jedi. The the whole fact that at the end, it's Luke and Vader and the Emperor in the Emperor's throne room. 
they are the only three that knew what happened in that room. And I love that. Um, that, that works so well. Um, because it's, even though the, the, there was galactic consequences involved in that showdown, what happened in that was between those three and that's it. That's yeah. all that matters. Like, as far as, nobody, and, like nobody really, really had to know that at the end Vader, uh, became the good guy. It was it, really because Vader all along, it was really just redemptive for Luke to see Vader become like what he thought, you know? So yeah. yeah. But I just loved how it was private. I, I liked that. Like, even, even the guards, like one of the very first lines when that scene occurs, guards, leave guards. Us. No. Yeah. Yeah. So not even the guards saw what happened. And I, I, that I like. And so, the ending of Harry Potter was kind of the same way how they, but in the, in the book, it wasn't like that. Um, most of the aspects of the book in that, even that scene, I like better, but I did like how that was, they were alone. Um, Which let's hold on to the juxtaposition to the new star Wars films. Let's take that. Like never was there a battle scene that was just the people. So for example, even if you take the fact of uh, Snoke, Kylo Ren and uh, Daisy, Rid- Daisy Ridley, uh, uh, whatever, Ray. I can never, Ray, thank you. In the throne room, Snoke's throne room, he's surrounded by guards, never sends the guards away. And it's just like, a, it's a whole show, right? Um, even Palpatine at the end of uh, the, the, whatever, uh, the Rise of Skywalker, whatever, the Rise of Skywalker, yeah, yeah. So even at the end of that, Palpatine is having a duel in front of a whole audience of Sith? Who knows? Like, so, so you take the juxtaposition, like, of, of, you know, like the way that Kasdan had, had written that original, um, pretty much because I think he wanted it to be more personal between those three. It was a personal battle between those three. And then the way that it was written by Luke, the Lucasfilm people, like it, 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 I, yeah, they were trying to make it more of like this gladiator style battle. I don't know. Yeah. So. And I, there's, there's something to be said for like the villain falling, you know, where everyone can see it. And then there's something to be said when it becomes more personal like that. There, there's something to be said for each aspect of it. Um. Um, all right, I'll give you, I'll give you another one. It just crap. I'm just throwing these out there. How? How nine thousand? Not a villain. He is though. He's right. an AI gone rogue. Like no, he's, he's not. He's, you find that out in the second one. He was not. It's his pro- his programmer. I mean, I it's been a long time since I've read those books, but as in the movies, as the programmer even said, you know, he didn't disobey orders. He was given conflicting orders, and he did his best to interpret. That's them. right. That's right. Al was that's performing one hundred percent in line with his programming. Yeah, that's right. You're right. Damn it. No, interesting. It's been a long time since I've read the books, though, so I don't know if it's slightly different. Because in the end of 2010, he understands that he needs to sacrifice himself, and he does it with no qualms. All right. Yeah, you got that one, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, that one. That one's. Uh, that one is on me. Nah. Yeah. I have. I. You know what, though. I, the I, idea I, of a villain, Hal, is very interesting, especially the way he's depicted as just that ominous eye everywhere, constantly watching your move. You don't know what he's thinking. Like that, in terms of like a conceptual villain, even though he ends up not being a villain, like that, I'll give you absolutely. All right, Kevin Spacey. 
in seven. Yes, I can't believe I overlooked him. And for him, the reason why is when he gives his spiel at the end, you know, that whole thing, like, we see a deadly sin on every street corner and every home and we tolerate it. You know, when he gives that, you're like, I got nothing. Like, there's no response. <laughs> there's no getting away from it. <laughs> it's like, All right. It, yeah, that, there's the meme of, like, that. <laughs> well, it's just... It's it's just at the end, like I mean, it's just it's just it's 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 so perfect. Um, like he he set the whole thing up. Uh, when when you when you get down to it and and uh, <laughs> the head in the box, right? And all of a sudden, like he knew what his end game. He knew where he was going with it. Like from the very beginning, like he knew where it was leading and where he was going. Um, and that that's that's telling of a of a of a, of a villain. Like he's not just doing things just to do them. He's it doing them so with a very yeah. yeah. It's very methodical, very planned out everything. Wasn't so much with Detective Mills because Detective Mills was brand new in town. Yeah, he yeah. already you know you know Sloth had already been strapped to the bed for 361 days when Mills got to town. So it was, yeah, yeah, but it was, yeah, he he eventually he he, he, he worked that into his plans. You know, he knew he knew his end game from that point. So yeah. Yeah, it was um, that everything was deliberate and thought out and planned. And yeah, sometimes movies make that a little too convoluted. But yeah, but I think you have to lose yourself in. I, I think sometimes you have to lose yourself in the uh, in the uh, uh, in the movie. Like you just have to accept that that there's going to be plot holes or there's going to be things that don't fit in to truly. Like you just have to have like get rid of the re- reality. Like sometimes you just and have I to do accept that. And the murders, obviously, the way they did, like the the symbolism behind the murders, obviously, all all were different. You know, perfect in their gruesomeness and brutality and everything like that. But to me, the best one, like, in terms of, like, just the message he was sending with it was pride. With, yes. With the, you know, extremely vain woman who just loved her looks and everything like that and just completely disfigured her and then gave her the option of rescue or suicide. Um, didn't even technically kill her himself. But hmm. it was... Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, John Doe would be one of my favorite villains. Um, oof. <laughs> oh man, it's, it's ones you love to hate, ones you kind of see their side of things. You know, villains can be good for a lot of different reasons. Um, I, you know, uh, the uh, and this isn't one single villain, um, but uh, it's. I think it's just because I love the movie so much. But Payback with Mel Gibson, it's <laughs> the syndicate itself. I find is uh, is very. Uh, I like this, like that whole syndicate in general. Um, just the whole him kicking the hornet's nest for seventy thousand yeah. dollars, which is <laughs> I'm gonna piss everyone off. <laughs> All right. If we want to talk, uh, if we want to talk, and, and again, it's not even just a single villain, but it's just a whole network of villainy. But uh, but John Wick, you know, just uh, you know, villains are kind of 
yeah, in those movies, I mean, the, the movies are just all about seeing him get 500 headshots in a single movie. That's really what the movies are about. <laughs> I, I do love how surgical he is in that movie. It's not the spray of like uh, uh, movies from the 80s. Like, yeah. It's literally just tap, 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 you know. <laughs> All right, okay. the uh, the you haven't seen this movie, and this is I think this is one that you really do need to see. But the uh, the villain in uh, the Equalizer, not the second one, but the first one, um, I, I think he is a uh, again just just his portrayal, um, and he's he's the cleanup guy, um, and you could just tell that he's he's never uh, never messed up. Like he's always been he's he's always fixed the issue. Uh, and and this is just the one that he can't. And you could by the end of it, you could just tell he's 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 at his wits' end, and he's doing everything he can to uh, kill John, John, uh, uh, Denzel Washington's character. Um, I, I would say like that's he did a really good job. That, that was a good villain, not probably the greatest villain though. That's the I think oh, the greatest villain. Hmm. That's not about that, but there's a movie with Mickey Rourke and Tom Jane and Diane Lane and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, kill... The kill Shot? Something like that? Anyway, Mickey Rourke and that, he's a hitman that he'd always been perfect. He'd, nobody had ever identified him. And Diane Lane is the first person that ever has. And so her and her husband, Tom Jane, go into Witsec, basically. So he's hunting them down. And he's basically got this new rookie hitman under his wing, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's a shithead. Um, why can't I remember the name of this movie? It's called Killshot, I think. Um, I mean, it's... Watch it once and forget it, but... Uh, I'm surprised you didn't bring up Vince Vaughn's character from Clay Pigeons. Uh, you know, I haven't I haven't watched that movie in yeah, Killshot. You're right. The movie is Killshot. Um, I haven't seen that movie in years, actually. It's I, I not and this has been a long time ago since, but years and years later, probably like six years ago now, I rewatched that movie and it was not what I Whatever I saw in it back then, it was not there anymore. Um, so there's that. Uh, but I remember liking Clay Pigeons when it came out, but I just did not did not really care for it the second time around. Watching it years later, but hmm. I don't know, man. Uh, we can always come back to this, I think, because yeah, I'm just having a real hard time. Like those, like to me, T1000 and Smith really come to the top for me for villains and I'm having a hard time picking ones that match that um, besides Zorg besides Zorg yeah Zorg and things like that I think honestly um, um, yeah Zorg yeah we might we might have to re-explore this a little bit later um, after you watch your friend Roger Rabbit motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be next week's topic, all right? Just for you know, yeah, 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 that's fair. Just fair enough, that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I didn't think that we would have anything to talk about on the on the dating uh, aspect. Um, well, did, obviously, we did. Didn't think that. Yeah, you didn't think that was. I about lost a best friend on that. Like John, John almost, John no. like literally almost like he almost knocked his computer over. It was like fuck off. 
Uh, all right, man. Well, then, uh, I, I mean, on this note, like we can keep it going if you want, but uh, but it sounds like uh, we've kind of run out of ideas on 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 villains. Yeah, um, this needed more prep, and we just kind of jumped into it here. So that's fair. All right. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll try we'll try the villains again in a future episode. Uh, probably uh, maybe not even next week. We'll, we'll give it we'll give it a chance to really think this through properly, um, and uh, they might see some repeats. Who knows? So I might have to expand out of movies too because I'm thinking a lot better TV shows, yeah, TV shows and stuff like that. So I'm, we might have to leave it behind for movies. Just culture in general, like games, like. You would you would do that better than I would, so I'll do the movies and do the video games. I mean, I, he's probably not one of my favorite villains, but like if we start including characters like Sephiroth and everything, that's gonna like open a whole new can of worms. So Ooh. villain from Final Fantasy Seven. Oh, um and he's just he is the Darth Vader of video game villains, I'll just put it that way. Okay. I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's one of my favorite villains, but he's probably the most iconic video game villain of all time. Um. Anyway. So, well, cool. So we might right, have well, to expand. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's fair. We can expand it off. So, yeah, I think, I think we'll have to, we'll do a little bit more pop culture side of it instead of just focus on film. So, okay. All cool. right. It's late and I'm tired. It is late, yes. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's been fun. Um, so again, this is uh, Steve. And John. <laughs> and this has been Quixotic. Uh, thank you guys for joining us and uh, have a good night.